Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and a warm welcome to another episode of Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. My name's Joe Haddo and I'll be the ringmaster for the upcoming War of the Words which will ensue between two debut writers a little later on before we meet our guests. A little bit of admin. Firstly, welcome to any new listeners who are joining us. We have virtual open arms here and are so glad that you stopped by to listen. We hope that you will explore the other series of Book Off. And to all our regular listeners, much literary love to you all and thanks for your continued support of the podcast. So then, to business, and today, as ever, I'm joined by two brilliant authors, two debut authors, who are going to be telling us about their new books, their writing, and what they've enjoyed reading recently. My first guest is a Chinese takeaway owner from West Wales, who recently won Richard and Judy's Search for a Bestseller competition, and is now a published author, a dream that she has had since she was a young girl. Here to tell us about Happy Families is Julie Ma. Hello, Julie. Hello, Julie. Welcome to Book Off. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you for having me. And the uh, listeners can't see, but I noticed that you've got the uh, the perfect setting there on camera of the Chinese takeaway in the background, very on brand. Yes, the Chinese takeaway is, is very famous now for being in the background of various media <laughs> commitments. Um, but hopefully what won't happen today is it's not opening hours, that people won't rattle the door trying to come and order a meal, which is what has happened previously, I'm afraid. And also, um, there were a few comments last time I did one of these and that you could hear a lot of kitchen noises in the background, unfortunately. There's nobody in the kitchen today, but however, there is a lot of refrigeration equipment that clicks into action. Well. It's a bit of atmosphere, isn't it? It's well, setting the scene. it's just being polite, really. It's very polite <laughs> of you to say that. Thank you very much. And I wonder what noises will be in the background of my second guest's setting. She studied English literature at Trinity College, Dublin, and then completed a master's in creative writing at Queen's University, Belfast. She is awash with academia. Uh, she lives on her family farm in County Kildare, which sounds to me, right at this moment, very idyllic. And she's here to tell us about her debut novel, Snowflake. Welcome to Book Off, Louise. Thanks a million, Joe. Great to be here. Oh, it's so lovely to, to have you both here. Um, and I, as I was writing that intro earlier and I wrote uh, a family farm in County Kildare, obviously I, I was just swept away with this magical place. The romanticism. Uh, the romanticism of it. 
and the fact that I'm I'm currently sat in a city in London. I'm sat in the, in, in in my flat in London, dreaming. Come do of, milk and Joe. Come do milk and I, Well, I you know I would at this moment. <laughs> we're actually um, we're spreading slurry outside at the minute, so you're you're lucky that you can't smell where I am now. <laughs> We're in the family WhatsApp. It was like cold brown, cold brown, cold brown. <laughs> when um, when I do come to visit, can it be on a non-slurry day slash week? Well, we can't plan that really. I mean, like you're just gonna have to look at the draw, Joe. <laughs> just get thrown in. <laughs> just see how it goes. Yeah. Um, it's great to have you both here. As I've said, we're looking forward to finding out what books you'll be championing a little later on in our book off. Um, and Julie, I mentioned it in your intro, but congratulations on the Richard and Judy competition. This is a this is a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. Thank you. Um, yes, it's completely out of the blue. It's a bit like a fairy tale experience, really. Um, I feel like Prince has knocked at the door eventually and said, "You've won. You've won the prize. You, the slipper fits you." after various other princes have come along and said that my feet were too big. So oh, it's been... The book the book slipper. Oh, yes, the book slipper. It sounds lovely, doesn't it, like that? Yeah. Well, and uh, I was just going to say, Louise, at, at the time of talking, and indeed when this podcast will first go out, your book won't technically be published. It'll be a few weeks away. So how does it feel right now to know that you know you are going to be a published author and that it's soon to be in the hands of lots of people that aren't your family and friends yeah i'm so glad that i'm on um with julie because i think that she kind of uh knows the feeling and i very much feel like i've tried to hack my feet um off <laughs> to try and fit a slipper um and um my very bloody feet are now um, <laughs> Been, been pampered a bit and things a bit very 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 surreal um yeah it's very surreal um i feel very lucky but the dream becoming a reality really is um there's a lot of fear and a lot of excitement mm. it's kind of the same emotion um i was gonna say this is exactly what it's going to be like you will i mean i was told off in the early stages for indicating that it was quite so scary but it is you know particularly because we're both country people really yeah it's it's it is i never really understood the word overwhelming before people used to come up to me and say it must be terribly overwhelming and that is what it feels like in a wonderful way but also in the slightly scary way as well and because we're both competition winners aren't we so well that's how we got started out so it seems i think if you'd gone through it in a more conventional way it might be slightly different but the competition win makes it feel so lucky and special and wonderful it just yeah. is that tiny bit extra bit scary as well yeah. it's a definitely a roller coaster of emotions and i think having spoken and spent time with a lot of debut authors that have then gone on to you know have huge careers which i've been lucky enough to follow as well there, there is a roller coaster of emotions with every book but i think with the debut uh there's <clears throat> there's just so much more there's just so much sort of ups and downs with it. Um, but it, but that's great. I think it has to be because if you were coming to the publishing of your first novel and not really having a strong feeling either way, it would yeah. probably mean you, you know, you, you're not really into it. So I think the, that's... The thing is, um, I, I'm one of those people who used to be really jealous of people who won competitions or jealous of people <laughs> who got book deals. And I was kind of like, Oh, like screw them! Like go away <laughs> with your success. 
let me wallow in this. And I was ready. I was ready to put in the hard hours and hard years and I was ready to struggle. And and all of a sudden everyone's been really nice and it's happening and it's kicking off. And I was like, oh my God, like me a year ago would hate me now, <laughs> you know? Um, and I kind of, um, I, I kind of have to come to terms with it and be like, okay, right, get over yourself. It's happening and make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right, You've yeah. got, you got to go with it. You've got to embrace it. And the other thing is that both of our books have taken about 10 years to get to where they are now. So they've been they've had a long gestation period and I think they deserve their moment in the spotlight now. And that let's talk about them actually because that's a good point Julie which is also what it feeds into the emotion because this book has been with you for that amount of time. It's been with us maybe a month, you know, if we if we bought it in the in the shops or we bought it online from a shop. Um, we've sort of read it and enjoyed it and that's been that but but the whole journey for you has been 10 years which means that there's so much emotion sort of caught up in it anyway um, but let's t- let's talk about happy family so the, the book is about a family who run a Chinese takeaway in West Wales they say right about what what you know um, so what was it that made you want to write this story which is sort of quite s- similar to your own experiences it is similar but not identical the reason I wanted to write about it is that I spent, when you start out as, as a writer, and I think Louise has not made this mistake, that you think, I'm, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to go to the city or I'm going to send my mind around the world and try and find something really, really exciting to write about. And then you realise after a while that there's no place like home. And it's like Dorothy, the best stories or the good stories are on your doorstep, really. And that's how I came to find this story about this rural location. I mean, it's it's a ex, it's an exploration of a diverse extended family, including family members who aren't related to you by blood, but perhaps are related to you by, by love, really. And you wouldn't expect that story. You would expect that story perhaps in Southall or... I don't know, somewhere in Birmingham or Manchester. You might not expect it somewhere in the quiet corner of Wales or Ireland, but here it is. And I thought people didn't know that, so I thought they should see it. So that's how it started out, really. And obviously it is much easier to write something you know a bit about. Well, of, of course, and I think it's it, it, it gets asked a lot. It gets asked a lot by me debut novelists particularly or writers of their first book will just naturally put a bit of themselves in the book I think I, I just think you can't avoid that really I well I think so too but when you think about some of the other debut novelists you do think are you really a serial killer or something <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the old, it's the old basic instinct thing isn't it where they go oh no Sharon Stone never killed those blokes she'd never write about it in a book but now you think hmm, perhaps one of these people is the Sharon Stone character but if the serial killer likes a particular brand of whiskey and maybe a particular film or type of music, you know, maybe that's the bit yes, of the author I, that's in it. I hope so. I hope that's <laughs> yeah, the who knows? I want to come back, uh, Julie, and talk about Amy and a little bit more about the story in just a mo. Um, Louise, uh, we, we've we've talked about how it feels knowing your first novel will be out soon in the world. So the novel we're talking about is Snowflake. Uh, the story of 18-year-old Debbie White, who lives on a dairy farm. So can you set the scene of Debbie's world for us here? And, and if there are 
many parallels with with your own life here yeah so um obviously yeah my fiction is mined from my own experiences but then it takes on a sort of life of its own um so it's a story about a girl called debbie who lives on a dairy farm and goes to college in dublin very much my experience um, differences between me and Debbie is that we have different families. Um, so Debbie is an only child. Uh, she doesn't know who her dad is, um, and she lives with her mother, um, who's, who's um, quite mentally ill um, and doesn't really feel able to cope with the outside world all that all that well. She's obsessed with dreams, and um, she spends a lot of time in her room um, writing down her dreams and um, feeling like she has to figure out the cosmos. Um, and um, so Debbie has quite a strange relationship with her, but she um, really gets on with her uncle, Billy, uh, who lives in a caravan in a field at the back of their house. Um, and Billy's gas and everyone loves him. And um, he's sort of um, a really happy alcoholic, you know? Like the lad that you find down the pub, um, you just want to be his best friend you want him to tell you stories and he thinks that he can kind of navigate um debbie away from her mother's sort of um uh way of being into um a successful kind of um free life and he thinks that that way is through university and um, so she goes to college um in in dublin and she finds it really alienating way that I did um, and uh, she um, meets um, these friends that seem very sophisticated um, but she starts to have really strange dreams as well um, and so she becomes really um, sort of disconnected from her sense of self um, and then it just becomes a, a battle between um, whether Debbie's going to end up um, liberating herself from her um, maternal heritage which is really um a history of mental illness in the family um or to break out on, on her own um or um, somewhere in the middle um so yeah i think you you tackled um sort of the mo modern life mental illness side of things really really well and in a in a very sort of unique and refreshing way which which i want to talk about um in just a mo Coming back to you, Julie, we we've sort of got a bit of the setting and story of your book, but this is a very heartwarming tale, um, and I, you know, loved reading it. So, can you just tell us a little bit more about Amy and and the the story that that she goes through here? Oh well, Amy's the granddaughter, so she's the third generation. She's pretty integrated, um, but she has had that slightly difficult upbringing between the ages of zero to eighteen that Debbie has had. Um, I think something that you would have in common that if you are the child of immigrant parents or the child of parents who have a mental health condition or other condition that requires you to care for them, that moment when you're 18 and you go, you think, this is great for me, but what about them? So that's the situation that she's been in. But her family is sort of okay and her brother's still around. So she goes away and she has another life for 16 years and then she has to come back. Um, Generally, I mean, a lot of people have had to move home with their mum and dad during the lockdown, and I would not describe the lockdown as being a good thing. So if you have to come back after that time away, it's not a good thing. So she's home. She's living with her grandfather in the flat above the shop. 
Um, that's where she lived before. She's back where she started. It's not brilliant. Um, her family is strange. Not They love each other, but there's some sort of argument or bickering or something that's happened long ago, and her father and her grandfather don't talk to each other. Nobody's willing to sort of discuss it. It's like one of those family secrets. They just sort of mould around it. She wants to get to the bottom of it as a sort of side hobby now that she's back. But the grandfather collapses. So it's it's like people are taking health a lot more seriously now as well. And you realise that, you know, people fall ill and they can slip away from you very quickly. So she's got a rocket of her ass now really to try and sort out what the problem is if she wants to get the family together. But also she's back in this community this welcoming Welsh community. And the story's told in two timelines. So there's a timeline in the present with Amy and what's happening. And also the secrets as they bubble up from the 1950s and when her grandfather settled in this part of Wales. That's told, that's told in a different timeline. And they sort of link up. And I think another part of my life that's reflected in the novel is that I know that when I was small and you'd be like six and your mum would take you to some old lady's house and say, this is Auntie Margaret, or this is Auntie Daisy. And you'd look at this like Welsh woman and think, how is she my auntie? <laughs> but that's the way they were. They would all pile around each other's houses and the front doors would be open and it would be, all be very welcoming. So I wanted to reflect the welcoming nature, especially when you try and think of rural places as being less diverse or less welcoming to other people. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, with both of these books family is quite, is quite a central issue and you know I've, I've written in my notes having read both of these books you know families love them but each of their own quirks don't they and and the most the most normal uh, in inverted commas of families still have their own sort of quirks and traditions and things that they do that's very specific to them um and I suppose, Louise, part of your story and part of the writing of this book is, as you said, you know, there's a, there's a bit of your experience in in the novel, but the family is very different. Yeah, yeah. And uh, oh, it was so funny. I got off the phone to my uncle, who just read it, and he was like, um, <laughs> "Like uh, your dad, he got a good deal out of it because he gets to be Billy, <laughs> and Billy's great. But your poor mother." And there's a scene in the novel with the with the stairs. I won't go into it. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, I I brought it to a writing workshop, and the guy Sean O'Reilly, he's an Irish writer, he's a great teacher, and uh, he just said, just like when when this goes out, um, just say you live in a bungalow. <laughs> 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 just say you have no stairs in your house, and like like that, like so many debut authors. Um, a lot of the interviews and a lot of um, of the feedback you get from people is, oh yeah, it's fiction, it's fiction, but it's you really, isn't it? <laughs> and I think that the liberation that fiction brings is that, like, yeah, you can use different parts of, of your family history or um, different quirks. But there is a lot of, like, say, my uncles and my dad in Billy. Like, there's lines of, say, my uncle got really angry with his... Um, with his daughter for getting drunk on Alcapops. And he was yeah. like, no daughter of mine is getting drunk off <laughs> Smirnoff Ice. Go to the pub, order yourself a pint of Guinness. Um, so yeah, there is, there's so much like reality in it that I kind of like, there's 
worlds of information that I get from everyday life on the farm. Um, the farm is, is a big part of the book. Um, and I kind of surprised my dad. I, I wasn't expecting my dad to read it because he doesn't read a lot. Um, but he read it and he was like, geez, like there's a lot of um, like the landscape. And he didn't realize that um, I kind of had the same intimacy with the farm as he did or ownership, not ownership, but like a sense of uh, affiliation with it, but just in a different way. You know, like I'm not the best uh, cow milker in the world. Like I, they call me the fairy. Like I, I'm not the one to stand and cover a pit. But, um, or drive a tractor, but um, yeah, it, it did bring me closer to my family. Um, but the the characters felt like family at the end, really. Yeah. I wondered if you'd read um, a book called The Discomfort of Evening. No. This is a book that won the uh, Booker International Prize last year, so sort of around this time in 2020. And... Well, I, I don't know. I, I would sort of rec- I, I'd like to recommend it to you, if I may. Um, yeah. Because it's um, set on a Dutch dairy farm, and it's very different to your book. Very different. But I just wonder if you might get something a lot more out of it than a, than a normal. Re- I mean, it's a fabulous book, I have to say. Um, You're and it. it's by. Um, hold on. It's by Marieke Lucas Rindveld, I think. I, I know I know. I had to pronounce that name last year properly, and I've probably butchered <laughs> it. Uh, but they are a, a debut novelist, um, very young. They're only 29. And um, it's just really interesting because they write from the point of view of, um, you know, growing up on a dairy farm. And the book is, is sort of, bonkers and weird and and heartfelt and are sad and there's there's lots going on there and i think you might really like it so i just wondered if you'd read it but if you haven't um it's called the discomfort of evening um before we find out uh what you've been reading and enjoying recently i did mention louise that um i wanted to talk about the 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 sort of um modern modern life aspect the mental illness aspect of this book and i do think you've you've sort of tackled it in a very refreshing way and I wondered if if there was anything specific that you wanted readers or you want readers when this book comes out to take away from the story um I suppose I wanted to write a story for my 18 year old self Mm. um when I was 18 I was really struggling and um the mental health services like I there was free mental health services in college which were great but um they could only do so much uh and i felt very frustrated by them um didn't get a lot of answers i didn't feel like i deserved to be depressed or anxious um and so the only thing that really lifted me out of i didn't know that i was depressed for ages i'm on medication now and i'm in therapy and um i've learned a lot of um coping skills and life skills um, and I think I've matured a lot as a person. But back then, I was just a kid, and it was all it was all darkness. And the thing that really helped me was reading. Um, I read um, "Sunbathing in the Rain" by Gwyneth Lewis, who's a poet. Um, and I was like, "Oh, this, like this is this is what I'm feeling." And she's coming out of it. 
um and and then i just even books that weren't aimed towards mental illness i just found them i always find books to be really um medicinal i don't read for pleasure or entertainment i do sometimes but i read for a deeper deeper purpose just to find friends <laughs> uh friends on the page who um which is kind of like i i kind of um I'm reluctant sometimes to recommend books to people because the things that I might find um, interesting in it or speak to me may not speak to another person. But yeah, the the whole um, I would like. I'm just thinking of myself when I when I write. I, I want to write a book that I want to read myself. Um, yeah. And I'm quite a selfish reader as well. <laughs> I That's don't care. fine. I don't care what other people are reading. I really don't. And I'm quite quite possessive sometimes. It's like being at a restaurant and like, I don't care what other people are eating unless it's better than what I have <laughs> in my place. And then I'm interested, you know? <laughs> so um, I'm the same as you. I literally never look around a restaurant to see what other, because I know, it, I, ruins I, it, for you. I'm, it ruins it for me. And also I'm looking at the menu. I know what I want. I want yeah, that. That's it. And it doesn't matter if over there has got, got like a sparkler on it yeah. or it comes out on one of those sizzling like yeah. hot pieces of molten whatever not in, don't care no, no. no. are you are you a repeat order you order the same thing at a restaurant yes very much so yeah. very much so now that's not to say i don't uh, experiment okay because if i i tend to go back to restaurants that i like so i have my favorites okay. of the menu and indeed the restaurant uh it's great Chinese takeaway in West Wales actually that you should check out um oh, wow. tell you <laughs> but I um, little faces at the window <laughs> yeah it's probably me breaking all the rules driving through about seven different counties and countries to get there um no I uh yes I, I sort of know what I like and if if there's a place that I know does it really well and I'll just I know that I'll always enjoy it but and um, that's that makes me sound also maybe possibly a little bit dull Obviously, I'm dull. I'm happy. I shake it up. I do yeah, shake it up I from mean, time to time. People come in and say, oh, "I'm really boring. I always have the same thing." And I go, "You know what you like, so stick with it." Absolutely, That's basically, it isn't it? They yeah. think. I think this is kind of judgy thing, isn't it? They think I'm judging them for having the same thing, which I'm not. No. And in the same way, people think, you know, it's th it's the same with everything. Everybody thinks that other people are judging them when really <laughs> yeah. they don't really no, care what you're weird. doing. No one cares about it. No, of course not. And actually, what's what's nice about it, one of the one of the restaurants which I very much hope uh, is still there that I that I used to go to quite quite often is I I walk in, I get a very warm welcome, usually go for a lunch, sit down, and uh, the 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 head waiter there would sort of look at me from across the room and pick up a menu and point at it and go, "Do you need it?" <laughs> or is it or are you or am i getting you what yours and and some days i'll go no i'll have a look and other days i'll be i'll just be like no and he'll go off because he knows you know and there's something really nice about that i think yeah. there's something quite comforting yeah. um not boring comforting yes you're a local and they know you well which is yeah. what happens here yeah 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 exactly mm. um one very final thing louise i just uh just thinking of your 18 year old self there and like i I um I'm so glad to hear that you know you have found ways and things that are helping you because I do think and this is it's not really a criticism on anyone or the system or anything but there 
there's it's sometimes when, with with people's approach to mental health it's a bit paint by numbers and i do think that it, you can't just say this works you know because it, it because for some people it doesn't and there's 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 it, it's important for everyone to sort of find their thing and their way well, of like, improving like a, like a chinese like restaurant you need to have a menu of options you know mm. oh see very good very good good um i i just think um the creativity needs to be part of um of even if a person goes to their local doctor mm. um that the doctor doesn't straight away have to put them on medication or have to recommend cbt i got cbt recommended to me so many times by uh and it, it works for some people and it doesn't and for others they you know it just doesn't yeah. connect and and i i remember paying a, a horrific amount of half an iphone to go see this um psychotherapist who i, I was eight years in the system now nothing was working and he was like um it was a woman actually she was like uh i recommend cbt and i was like cbt hasn't worked for me and she was like okay we just won't call it that then I was just like, you can't, like, you can't do that to a person who's really struggling, you know, mm. and, and in pain. Like, it, um, yeah, it, it just needs um, a lot more options for people yeah. to um, discover, like, who they really are. And I actually really enjoy therapy now, and I enjoy um, trying to live a, um, a better life. And you, you realize that you have all the tools in yourself not going to a therapist and they sort of out um, yeah. and I, I realized I'm really lucky as well um, funding is, is a whole different conversation and um, I just yeah it breaks my heart and um, going into schools now and talking to, to kids um, is something that I, I really like doing um, and yeah oh good for you well I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing that as well I'm, I'm sure that they find it very helpful to hear from you um go on julie i was going to say the thing about snowflake is that you said you wrote it because it was the sort of book you want to read and in a way it's about being seen i feel as you go to a therapist she probably says is it about being seen louise having for people to know that that sort of thing exists i think it's important that we see that people are 18 and they have mental health problems if you have that problem you're not the only one yeah. There are loads of other people. But if you don't see it in a book or see it on television or in a film, you think, I'm a freak. I'm the yeah. only one. And that's yeah. so not true. And that's what your book does. And your talks in school. And it's cha and I think that, you know, it is, it is changing. If you think back to, you know, when we were growing up, when we were children, children, you know, it just the, the, the whole sort of mental health awareness thing just wasn't, um no. part of a conversation mm. and now it is it has changed and for yeah. the better in the fact that we're sitting here on a podcast sort of openly talking about it is is great i think and you're so right julie um you know for it to be in books to be in our television screens and in our stories just makes it just so much more normalized in the sense that like anyone going through it knows they're not alone and i think that's one of the the absolute key things um so it's really interesting, Louise. You don't sort of 
you don't always read for pleasure and i think that's that's a really great statement what about you julie what have you been reading recently and enjoyed and do you read for pleasure or is there a little bit of I'm afraid i only read for pleasure unfortunately um i think at the start of the year i decided though that i would read one book from the literary canon and then one book that i would enjoy and that hasn't worked out so well because it's um <laughs> We're well into the year now. The only book from the canon that I have read is um, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which I've not read any other Lacan. Julie, I, j- I just read that recently. <gasps> it's, For... it's, it's, Go interesting. On. it's interestingly dated, isn't it? I didn't, I didn't like it. Didn't you like it I don't it know what everyone's all? wanging on about. Well, six out of ten. I mean, I just... Yes, it is dated. God, sorry, I've sort of j- jumped in on no, you. No, you go ahead, because nobody I, else has read it that I can discuss it with, so off you go. It's, it's dated, but also I, didn't, I don't know why it's held up as some sort of literary ma- masterpiece or whatever. Like, you know, I just, a modern classic as it, as it is. I didn't get it. But it left me, well, it left me feeling cold, <laughs> a bit like the spy. <laughs> yeah, I suppose perhaps... Everything that it explored 50 years ago has become a cliché, so perhaps that may be a pro- part of the problem. But it's certainly interesting to look at as an antique piece. But, you know, he's very good. That ambiguity about two-thirds of the way through between the mm. different sorts of um, agent that he comes across. I found that I had to sort of, like, read it and then put it down and think, I'll have to think about this for a bit and then go back and read a bit more. But I do see what you mean about perhaps not liking it. Um, there were a few moments when I was reading it and I was thinking, this could go either way. But on the whole, I think it was beneficial to read it. It's very interesting, though, that you said about the clichés, because um, on another episode of Book Off in this series, we had uh, the author Emily M. Danforth on. And she, uh, one of her Book Off pitch was actually um, The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. And she said when she was reading it that she, oh, no, she said that before she read it, she thought, oh, it sounds a bit like a bit cliche, like all the cliches of a horror novel, blah, blah, blah. And then she realised when she did finally read it that they were cliches because she'd invented them. She'd invented the cliches. <laughs> and and I wonder if maybe I'm having a bit of maybe John Le Carre invented all this stuff, like you say, and we've and I'm just thinking, God, oh, this to get. But actually he was the first. So maybe that's different. I don't know. It for me it was very, yeah, it was weird. I didn't I just didn't connect with that book. Um, but there we go. Mm. Oh, well, anyway, yes, I see where you're coming from. Um, in terms of the books for myself or the fun books, um, let's see. Well, one of them is the book I've chosen for the book off, so I won't say anything about that right now. Uh, I've noticed that, you know, books come in crazes and every now and again you have all these books about girls doing various things and various vampires doing various things, and they seem to be two crazes at the moment. One is psychological thrillers set in a snowy landscape. That's very popular right now. Um, I haven't read any of those yet. And the other one is romances revolving around a dog. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit more niche, that one, isn't it? One of them is called The Dog Sitter, I think, which I haven't read. And the other one is called Rescue Me, which I think is by somebody called Sarah Manning. But anyway, I've read Rescue Me, and it's like a fun book. I don't know if I should disclose this, but... Um, it's a good job that ladies go to the toilet sitting down because you can squeeze in a bit of reading then, which obviously <laughs> gentlemen can't do. So that's been my companion during those times. So you can read like a few pages 
two or three times yeah, a day. Just, you know, and that's, I was going to say, that's about 10 pages a day you're getting through there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I managed to read that book on, um, on my phone there. So, yeah, um, yes, dogs, dogs are going to be a big thing. Get a dog <laughs> in your next Get a dog, book. get a dog and write about oh, it. Yeah, yes. okay. Um, what have you read recently, Louise, that you've, that you've enjoyed that you might like to recommend? Uh, so I've read, luckily enough, to get a proof of Boys Don't Cry by Fina Scarlett. It's amazing. Yeah, love it. Um, it's out with Faber in April, I think. Um, it's about two young boys. Um, and it, it reminds me, it's um, Bang of Roddy Doyle off it. And uh, also Louise O'Neill. Um, yes. I think yeah. two very um, blended. But she's, yeah, a stunning debut. Uh, reading Maeve McGuckin poetry. Um, she is a poet from Northern Ireland. Um, Seamus Heaney described her as uh, her language as the inner lining of consciousness. Mm. Just, um, she's my, there's a documentary on her on BBC at the minute, um, and it is fab. Um, Twenty minutes. Um, it's about how she entered the national poetry competition under a pseudonym, um, because she knew she wouldn't win with an Irish name. Uh, so and she won. <laughs> um, oh, that's yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, she's very under um, underwritten about, uh, not heralded as much as she should be. Um, a lot of snowflake. Um, the ideas that um, I got around tales and um, dreams came from Maeve McGuckin poetry. Uh, so love her. Also, um, Patrick Frame. Um, okay, let's do your stupid idea. It's, hmm. uh, it's non-fiction um, kind of da- David Sedaris he's a, he's a journalist over in, in Ireland here um, and he does class columns uh, I think for the Irish Times um, and this is his first book it, it wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be as sad as it was um, he had a lot of um, grief of losing friends and stuff hmm. but it is stunning um you laugh and cry in the same story and uh, it's very very easy to read as well so that's what great I mean what's that one called again um okay let's do your stupid idea um, fantastic oh what a what a great set of recommendations and a very broad set i would say there from both of you so thank you for those one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's time now for the book off. And this is where each of you is going to get three minutes to tell us about a book that you love, that you think me and the listeners should all read. And I can tell you, listeners, because we're on camera here, that there are some scared looking faces staring back at me right now. Um, now, here's a few little ground rules that you need to know, Louise and Julie. Um, you don't have to use all three minutes. It's okay if you don't. But if you're still talking as the timer hits the three-minute mark, I will either be honking you out or ringing you out with a school bell, okay? Uh, and that you will be cut off at your three minutes. So it's up to you whether you want to go go to the whistle, as it were, or go to the horn. Uh, or if you want to try and bring it in beforehand. Before we find out the books, let's decide who goes first and who goes second. Julie, would you like to go first or second? I am going to let Louise decide. <laughs> oh, Julie, switching it up. Oh, look at Love this. It. All right. Go on then, oh, Louise. Um. Oh, I will go. I really want to hear Julie's, and I know if I go second, I won't hear hers. Because uh, I'll just be thinking about mine, so I'll go first. <laughs> you're going first. All right, Julie. Um, you're not getting away without making a decision, though. I uh, want the bell. Do, I want do the bell. You want, you want the bell? Okay, right. She already knows. She already knows. Okay, fine. In which case, Louise, that means you're getting the bicycle horn. So before we start the timer, just tell us the book that you're putting forward. Um, I'm putting forward A Goat Song by Dermot Healy. Fantastic. All right. Well, it's over to you. Three minutes on the clock to tell us about A Goat Song. Okay, so A Goat Song by Dermot Healy is a book set um, in the west of Ireland um, and it's a story of a man called Jack Ferris. Um, he's a playwright and a fisherman and he's waiting for the love of his life, um, Catherine Adams, to come home to him. At least that's what he thinks uh, he's waiting for as he drifts in, of an alcoholic, in and out of an alcoholic haze, really. Um, so on Christmas Eve, he signs himself in to hospital for treatment. Um, and he finds there that um, he, as he's transcribing other patients' stories of suffering, he finds a sense of liberation from his own loneliness. Um, so he decides to tell the story of Catherine in order to try and release himself uh, from the pain of her absence. Um, so A Goat Song is a modern-day tragedy. Um, uh, tragedy actually comes from um, the words goat song. Uh, which uh, Jack explains to Catherine in their first meeting, which I'll read a bit now. Um, what do you do anyway, she asked. I do a spot of writing. This made her pause. Writing, she said disbelievingly. What sort of writing? Plays. I'm interested in plays. What kind? I pen songs of the book. Billy tunes. I'm sorry? Gold songs. Is that so? That'll be the height of it. Catherine looked at him. That's all very interesting, but I don't know what you're talking about. Tragedies, tragos, goat, od, song, from the Greek. I never knew that. There you go. Every time you weep in the theatre, you're listening to a goat singing. You're joking. Not at all. In the early days, the Greek goat herds used to put the books on one island and the nannies on the other. When the nannies were in heat, their smell would come on the breeze to the books who rose a mournful cry. The poor things. That's what I thought. 
And why didn't they just jump in the water and swim across to them if they were so frustrated? Uh, but that's the crux of the matter, Jack Ferris said. You see, goats can't swim. Um, so before I read a goat song, I used to be ashamed of my own loneliness. Um, and when I opened this book, it was like Dermot Healy flung a door open and threw his arms around me and welcomed me in um, by a warm fire <laughs> and told me all about his pain and suffering. <laughs> and I learned from him that loneliness could be uh, transformative and that um, actually revealing your own vulnerabilities, your own sense of failure, um, can be the most important gift that you can give to somebody. Um, so that's why um, I think a goat song should be read. Um, it should be not only read by everyone, I think it should be championed as, as a classic. Um, and I just want to thank Dermot Healy. He's passed away in 2014. Um, but he was a really important writer to me. It's a really important book to me. Uh, thanks. Oh, wonderful. What a lovely end to that pitch. Oh, yes, yes, quite right, Julie. A little ripple of applause there. Um, good sportsmanship. Wonderful. Uh, I love that. And I don't know the book. So it's, it's you know, when it's always fun hearing a pitch about a book I know because there's there's always something revealing yeah. within it. And it's all, also lovely when I just don't know anything about it at all. And that was the case. Have a rest now, Louise. We'll come back and talk about that Actually, very listen. shortly. And now you can, yes, now you can sit back and listen <laughs> properly. Um, before we put uh, the three minutes back on the clock, Julie, which book are you putting forward for us? It's a book called The Snow and the Works on the Northern Line um, by Ruth Thomas. Fantastic. It's um, only come out just recently I'm going to put your three minutes on so if you're ready it's over to you from Jane Eyre to Eleanor Oliphant via Bridget Jones and Esther Greenwood the snow and the works on the northern line is another of those novels told by a quirky first person female voice and honestly who would have thought we need any more of those Sybil Wiseman is 26 notice that name because names are important in this book she's just started a new job at the Royal Institute of Prehistoric Studies in South London, known by the rather fabulous acronym of RIPS. While visiting Stratham Ice Rink with her boyfriend Simon, Sybil bumps into her former university lecturer. While she doesn't literally bump into her, but the shock of seeing such an unpleasant blast from her past causes her to skid across the ice, and it's her head that takes the bump as she hurtles across the ice into the barriers. That was the lecturer who used to pick on Sybil in tutorials and try to mark her down in her finals. She's now moved out of academia and into managing museums in the South London area, including Rips. <coughs> Excuse me. She is Sybil's ultimate line manager and her name is Helen Hansen. So remember what I said about names. Well, like that other Helen, this Helen can take her pick of any man she chooses and she chooses Sybil's boyfriend. Sybil's home life and her work life are ruined. Where is there to be a refuge from all this turmoil? Sybil's colleague, Jane Beecham, suggests poetry classes to take her mind off it all. Jane Beecham, it's a fantastic English name because it's pronounced Beecham, but it's spelt Beauchamp, like French <laughs> for beautiful fields. And if someone called beautiful fields gives you advice, you take it. <laughs> so, it's an evening class in poetry at Brixton Library for Sybil. Now, we didn't discuss this, but I'm not very keen on poetry. I only like it if it rhymes or if it's really short. 
So luckily, Sybil writes haikus. So that's just 17 syllables long. And this is one of them. Office morning. Where are the paper clips? Also, where is the hole punch? So it's like a little Adrian Merle poem there. Um, I love Adrian Merle. He's one of my top five poets of all time. But there is proper poetry in here as well, um, including one called A Poison Tree by William Blake, which is well worth looking up, but I'd never heard of before. And it's really good. You know it's good because it rhymes. Right, here's another one from Sybil. Tottenham Court Road contains five syllables. Stockwell contains two. As you can see, the book is set firmly in London, which, given what we've both discussed about Chinese takeaways in Wales and farms in Ireland, I didn't think it would be for me. I'm rushing now because I think I'm running out of time. Um, but instead of a story about a glamorous city hogging the limelight and looking down on its country cousins, it's a touching, funny, no! No, my haiku! <laughs> Lovely Joe Haddo, please do pick my book in the book off. Go on! It's my haiku! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I will... Look, if someone's writing a haiku about yeah. me, then you get a few extra seconds. Don't you worry, Julie. That's that's fair enough. Oh, brilliant. Well done. Um, take a little breather now as well. Thank you. Another book I don't know. Uh, new, you said it's new. It's just come out. It just, just came out at the start of yeah. this year. Yeah, fantastic. Um, to go back to a goat song, if I may, Louise, mm. um, I found that there was almost, you know, the sort of everything, everything in that pitch that's possibly in the book because you went from sort of talking about this this alcoholic's haze, um, the fact that he's a he's a playwright, uh, this that he finds a sense of liberation from his own sort of loneliness and sadness, and then you went on to to say how how much it's meant to you as a as a book, uh, how it's sort of how it made you like how it welcomed you in. I think is what you said, and you know that revealing your own vulnerability is is something that we should really you know be looking at. As and I just think. What a wonderful thing that a book's been able to give you. Um, and it also makes me think of like, I hate to bring it back to Chinatown again, but like I will go very happily to <clears throat> said restaurant where the waiter points at the menu and sit there by myself reading, not reading, watching, you know. Um, <clears throat> that's not loneliness, I know, but there is, there is still a sort of strange stigma in someone on their on their own doing something on their own i think um and yet i love it <laughs> yeah. there's you know i actually quite like being alone uh, some of the time you know one of my favorite things to do is to be alone in the city uh so one of my favorite things is just to wander around dublin wander in and out of the galleries like you're surrounded by people and you can people watch but you actually don't have to talk to anybody which is great you also do everything on your own agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved going traveling on my own. I went to Edinburgh on my own there. I was bliss, absolute bliss. Um, yeah. And I think so. I I don't know if that's quite what you were saying about this book, but I think there, you know, that not being ashamed of your own loneliness, and by that I mean, you know, on a deeper level than just oh, I could go walk around a city on my own, but actually. It's, it's okay, yeah. I guess. Yeah, just to sit with your own, like, all of your messiness, you know? Um, and I think, like, we we absolutely 
to quote Walt Whitman, we contain multitudes. <laughs> and I remember um, my friend saying that like she couldn't imagine having a boyfriend or or a partner because there's so many people inside her already. <laughs> and uh, I really felt that as as a writer that um, like I'm I'm quite happy um, to. Uh, be alone and and to um, knock the crap out of myself, you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Have have fun. Um. Yeah. But also sit with the sadness when it does when it does pop up and there is a stigma around you should have friends and that's when I went to college. I I found myself being alone a lot, having to go for lunch on my own, and I hated people seeing me eat alone because I came from school and. And the social hierarchy of school, like where you ate lunch, who you ate lunch with, that was your group. Mm. Whereas like with university, you were just like completely stripped of all of that sort of um, social sort of um, buffering or, or um, cushioning that you had in school. Um, and it's taken me years to, to grow into um, just being happy out. Um, yeah. 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 Well, wonderful pitch and a book I definitely want to read now, thanks to you. Um, and on the very different end of the scale in some ways, Julie, this yeah, sounds... I think the three of us sound like confident loners. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, nearly, I nearly said sad old loners then. Um, and again, the book, you know, this book is about loneliness as well, which yeah. obviously I didn't get to that point in the um, pitch. But yes, and she's lonely in the city as well. Um, it's just the circumstances that make you lonely rather than oh, alone. No, she's definitely lonely. But, mm, mm. you know, I've been, I'm surprised and really pleased that both of you said that you go out to places on your own and do things because that's what I do. And there is a stigma around it. People do look at you funny, but tough. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, and I, I'm, oh, I'm one of those people who goes, let them look. The more, the more, the, the more they look, the more I want to. The more I would like, if I had a book with me, I'd put it down and stare right back at them, just be like, yeah. "Here I am." <laughs> um, but it sounds very funny. You, you, your pitch was very funny, Judy. Anyway, and um, I loved the beginning where you sort of said, "Do we really need another quirky female voice?" It turns out, turns out we might do actually. Um, Jane, Eleanor, Oliphant, Bridget Jones, tick, tick, tick. Sybil sounds fab. I love the na- like the importance of names in it, um, and and your sort of honesty around poetry as well. Fair enough, it isn't for everyone, um, but who doesn't love Adrian Mole and who doesn't love a haiku, especially when it's about themselves? So um, thank you for that. Thank you for my own haiku. Um, yeah, just I mean, it sounds it sounds great that book. It sounds like it's well yeah, worth a, definitely a order read. It. Oh, thank you, and I will look at the goat song as well. But the both of them. Because people say, why isn't something really, really exciting happen about two thirds of the way through of your book? And I'm like, doesn't always happen, mate. (laughs) Uh, It's true. It's true. So, um, yes, I would say that's possibly the situation with this book, too. But Mm. some stories are quieter. Yeah, exactly. So that's the the snow and the works on the northern line. That's by Ruth Thomas and a goat song by Dermot Healy. Now, you know the game, um, two fabulous pictures, but I've got to pick one to go home with, as it were, for all the listeners, on behalf of the listeners, and I'm sure many are listening, thinking, God, he's not picking on behalf of me because he's chosen ones in the past. Which blah, blah, blah. But based on the pitch, 
I'm gonna go for a goat song. No! I was robbed. Now, listen, I want, don't want to take anything away from the haiku, Julie, because I really, really, really enjoyed it. I think the reason I've gone for the for a goat song is because the very I think because of what an impact it's had on you personally Louise and your writing I think that's why and um that's that's what just took it at the end okay emotional blackmail basically yes <laughs> Every time. basically oh. telling me that you know the author passed away and that you yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. Much to you. yeah really yeah th- it worked he yeah was a great it worked guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, fabulous book off though well done to both of you and Happy Families by Julie Ma is out now it's published by Welbeck and Snowflake by Louise Nealon is coming out in May from Manila Press or if you're listening to this after the 13th of May it's out now Julie, Louise what an absolute pleasure to spend an hour with you thank you so much for your company and thank you for your book recommendations thank you thanks a million What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.